It's Dr. Stu's Podcast with me, your host, Dr. Stuart Fishbein, community-based practicing obstetrician and longtime advocate for birth choices. And I'm here, as usual, with the best co-host in the business. Professional. The (laughs) non-professional, the blisterious one, midwife extraordinaire, Bliss Young Bliss. Hi. Nice to see you. Again. Again, it's been a while. We've had uh, some, uh, some, some months, haven't we? Yeah, but I saw you twice last week. No, I know that. You and I see each other, but people on the, <laughs> they the, end of the radio or the well, they never see us. They iPhone or the other thing they're listening to haven't seen us a lot lately. Mm-hmm. So anyway, we're happy to be back with all of you. This is podcast number 163. All right, you can find us at birthinginstincts.com for me at the website or birthingbliss.com. Social media, I'm at Birthing Instincts on Instagram. And for Bliss, it's go to at birth, Birthing Bliss Midwifery. You can find us on Facebook. And uh, I'm always told I have a Twitter account, but I've never used it. So don't go looking for me on Twitter. <laughs> How about you? Do you have Twitter? Nope. Oh, too come. many things oh, already. Yeah, too many things already? Dude. Snapchat? No. MySpace? No. <laughs> <laughs> used to. <laughs> Did you really? Oh, sure. Oh, my Back God. Back in the day. So you say you're a professional podcaster. I just said I was a professional, but you're right. I don't get paid. Yeah. We're not a professional podcaster. We're amateur. We're amateur podcasters <laughs> because we don't make any money. As a matter of fact, I'm less than an amateur podcaster because <laughs> <laughs> it costs me money. <laughs> what a great businessman I am. I know. All right. So first thing I have to say is congratulations to all my friends in Missouri and Kansas on behalf of the Kansas City Chiefs for winning a very exciting Super Bowl. Yay. Yay. I know you didn't watch, but... I watched J-Lo's Booty. What'd you think of that? I thought it was amazing. Yeah, I thought that she and uh, <laughs> Shakira were fine. I thought it was a little bit risque for those six-year-olds that might have been in the room, but... Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I other thought. than that, yeah, I thought it was a hot show. I yeah, did. yeah. I did. Um, I would like to say, though, as I was thinking about the Kansas City Chiefs, and I remember their playoff run, you know... Be, in the first playoff game, they fell behind by 24 points. In the second playoff game, they fell behind by 10. And against uh, San Francisco, they went into the fourth quarter trailing by 10 points. And they won all the games. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what that tells me is that even when you fall behind, if you put your mind to it and you learn to adapt to things, that you can still win. Thanks, Stu. I needed to hear that. You did? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Well, thanks. Thank the Kansas City Chiefs for teaching <laughs> well, me that you, lesson. Well, you extrapolated a life lesson from that. So yeah. Well, what happens good. too is like you think about the people who run the um, the obstetrical units in the hospitals and stuff like that, and they fall behind. And problem is they never learn to adapt, and so they'll never win. Mm. And that means that our clients will never win. So everyone needs to take a lesson from the Kansas City Chiefs. All right. And congratulations to my friends in Wichita. Okay. from the Kansas Breach Workshop. Right. <laughs> um, I want to thank, thank Amy and Derek uh, from Go Midwifery in uh, Kona, Kailua, Hawaii yes. for hosting me for the third year in a row for your breach conference out there. We had a great time. As always, I did some sea kayaking. I always go to the, thing, the recreational things first. The, the, the seminar was good, I believe, and... Uh, Got a lot of good feedback, and I think that might be the last time because Amy and Derek are moving to Montana. So next year, the Hawaiian Breach Seminar will be in Montana. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll probably still call it the Hawaiian thing. And I got some really sad news today, although this is going to, podcast will be coming out in a couple of days. But I was all excited to go to Anchorage for the uh, 2020 Vision for Burst Conference in Anchorage, Alaska. I got an email just about an hour ago that said that they're canceling the conference. They don't have enough enrollment. Aww. 
That's too bad. You know, they, they bit off a big chunk because they had a really good cast of characters there. Yeah. You know, they had Jen Camel coming and Jay Warren and uh, some other really good lactation specialists and Kieran Strange was going to be there. And, mm. and I just didn't think that Anchorage was appealing enough to get people to come up there in February. Yeah, it's cold. I know. We signed up for the Northern Lights tour. Oh, that would have been. I know. That would have been awesome. I know. It would have been great. So I don't know. I offered to, I, I don't know what will happen. I offered to come up and just do a breach seminar since I have a plane ticket anyway. So okay. we'll see, we'll see what, uh, we'll see if they want to downsize and what comes up. But it's very sad. They were very, very sad, very upset. Yeah, and I bet. Uh, Yeah, it is sad when that happens to it. Um, so I know that you and I have been, since the last podcast, we've tried several times to have podcasting and it got interrupted. Because you've been so busy. And you have been so busy. Between the, over at the, between the two of us, we had 20 births, I think. I'll have to look. I, I, I had 14. Um, well, one of them is the same for us. Maybe two well, of that, us well, Don't tell same. people that. Oh, okay. I'm giving it away. <laughs> um, but before we jump into our births, I just wanted to kind of like wrap up our last podcast just a little bit. That's okay. Yeah. I yeah. mean, uh, it's hard to go from that podcast to any other podcast. Oh, yeah. Well, we're going to do that. Yeah, we are. Just like I'm going to pick up the pieces and move forward, we're going to pick up the podcast and You're going to adapt and you're going you're gonna to win. Yeah. I'm going right. to adapt. I'm still, I still can win at life. I, I can That's do right. it. Um, but we did kind of put it out there if anybody had any additional questions or anything. And, and I, I got so much feedback and love and support and um so many people that reached out um to just say that they really appreciated how authentic both of us were that they really appreciated um the vulnerability and the honesty and the openness um so i just want to thank you for being my partner in that well you're welcome and i want to tell you that uh, despite all the notifications that you got from people yeah i have to add in i got tons of people tons. telling me to tell you <laughs> so there's a lot of people that that sent their um best wishes and feelings and appreciated how eloquent you were when you talked about you know what do you do to, what do you say to somebody yeah you know yeah so. so I read this thing in a, in a grief book after we had done the podcast, but I thought I would read it because I thought it just so um, eloquently kind of summarized what you and I discussed about how a grieving person is feeling and what you can do. So it says, don't tell me that you understand. Don't tell me that you know. Don't tell me that I will survive, how I will surely grow. Don't tell me this is just a test that I am truly blessed that I'm chosen for this task apart from all the rest. Don't come to me with answers. They can only come from me. Don't tell me how my grief will pass, that I will soon be free. Don't stand in pious judgment of the, of the um, bounds I must untie. Don't tell me how, I, um, how to suffer, and don't tell me how to cry. My life is filled with selfishness. My pain is all I see but I need you. I need your love unconditionally. Accept me in my ups and downs. I need someone to share. Just hold my hand and let me cry and say, my friend, I care. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like I wasn't going to cry. <laughs> God darn it. Well, you know, I feel like I wanted to just kind of include that because 
I think that that's also part of, of the lesson of this is that, you know, even though we're moving forward and we're moving on, grieving people have are holding that and including it in everything for as long as they probably live. So I just thought that was so poignant. You know, we talked about like just showing up and being there is the most important thing that you can do. And the words are just, you know... Can I, can I ask uh, where you found that, and if, it, well, there's, if there's credit to be given to somebody? Um, for that? The actual uh, person on this says jo- Jonette Hendel from a bereavement magazine, but it was a little grief book that was given to me um, from the people who helped with um, Sky's cremation. If you remember, we had a box that came to the house that Mm -hmm. we decorated. We did, um, kind of a, more of a home funeral situation. If anybody has any questions about that, I'm happy to, to talk about that. You can, you can send me a direct message on Instagram, but it was a really beautiful way of kind of bringing everyone together and, um, paying honor. Her body wasn't there, but the box was. And so, um, yeah, so they gave that to me and it took a while to kind of start to sort through some of the beautiful gifts that people gave me in books and stuff like that. I'm, I still have to write those thank you cards. Um, but every day is feeling, you know, a little bit different. I wouldn't necessarily say they're all better, but different. Um, so here we are and we're going to births. Yeah. At least your mind is distracted for, for those periods of time where you're at births. At least my mind is off of, other things when I'm at a birth, you know, during the, yeah. the action. Yeah. There's a lot of downtime at a birth. So there's a lot of time to, I, s- I have a lot of downtime at a birth. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find you get there too early? Sometimes your far ones, maybe. I find that I get there just at the right time. <laughs> Good answer. Yeah. Just when I'm supposed to be there. <laughs> Good answer. You know, well, I'm supposed to be where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. Yes, sometimes it's too early, but mm-hmm. it may not be too early for the husband or mm-hmm. or the mother-in-law or somebody else to know that that I'm in the other room hanging out on the couch with my headphones on mm-hmm. or walking down to Subway to get a sandwich <laughs> or something. But yeah, I you know, I yes, I it is. It's the schlepping all over all over Southern California mm-hmm. is a, is a bit much and, the, and it is hard to ti- the timing is hard. And uh, we could talk about some of the births. I think we're going to talk about lot, the births. There's a lot to be gleaned from um, from some of the experiences that we've had, and yeah. so I think we should uh, should go through them. Well, what I've been finding in the feedback that I've been getting from people about um, the podcast is that they really appreciate our perspective, and that it helps those people who are really kind of fighting that fight against the system to be reminded that there are people out there who are talking about normal birth and how to best support it. So I know we have a lot of examples of that from January. Yeah, we do. (laughs) (laughs) But you and I consider normal birth, but what the mainstream medical community would consider not to be normal birth. Yeah, so I think we'll we'll try and and kind of go through our births and talk about how this might have been managed in the hospital, what we did differently. Um, and hopefully that will be, those specific instances will be really helpful for people. Okay. So So, where do you want to start? I was just going to ask you, why don't we start at the beginning? Do you have yours in chronological order? Uh, somewhat, you know, they weren't listening, but they're, I can find them in chronological order. And, uh, okay. Well, the first one that I had was... And we'll kind of bounce back and forth. Um... Well, I won't go through all of them. I'll go through the you know the ones that are. I had I had an interesting breech client who has a very large fibroid who was 
Dr. Brock's patient. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Brock took about three weeks off and went to Israel with his family. And so she came to me. So I was actually backing Dr. Brock, which was kind of an interesting thing. Yeah. At home? Well, she wasn't, no, he was going to do her in the hospital, but she, her only choice was if he was out of town was to go to me mm-hmm. at home. So we made a home birth and we, I mean, a home visit and we did all that stuff. And she made it till Dr. Brock got back. And then she decided to go and deliver with Dr. Brock. And she had a breech vaginal birth at Cedars. So a uh, uh, shout out to my colleague, Dr. Barry Brock, who's recovered completely from being hit by a hockey puck. <laughs> <laughs> I heard that yeah, the, the wounds are healed and uh, the embarrassment is almost healed. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, I want to give him a shout out because uh, she had a nice vaginal birth, um, seven pound, nine ounce baby. At uh, She was 41 weeks and a couple of days. With him. With spontaneous labor. Mm-hmm. But I still consider that to be, uh, you know, it's not in my statistics, but I consider that to be someone in my sphere because we, were, we allowed her to have the opportunity to feel confident and comfortable during those weeks when he was out of town. Great. As Dr. Chavira did for me with another breech birth that we had. When I was in Hawaii teaching, we had a breech birth that Dr. Chavira did, came to the house and did mm-hmm. uh, with midwife Abby. And uh, that baby ended up needing um, Piper forceps to get the baby's head out. Mm, which so, is not common. No, it's very uncommon. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Chavira was able to do that. And f- and remarkably, he did it in, with her on all fours. So he had to like turn his brain upside down mm-hmm. so he could spatially, you know, and he's really good at that sort of thing. If you've listened to him talk before, he's very thoughtful and she was in that position and he didn't want to turn her over. So he put the pipers on with her upside down. Baby came out and, and eventually baby needed some resuscitation and maybe needed to go to the hospital to be observed. But did, but did really well, and we were parents were really fighters uh, for, for that baby's rights. Mom ended up, you know, it was sort of a weird thing. Mom ended up sleeping on the floor uh, in the nursery because they didn't give her a bed. It was, you know, that whole thing. It's another story. But ultimately, a very interesting part of that was I came to see them when they were in the hospital because I had gotten back from Hawaii, and I was chatting with her and her, her, her partner, and the team came in, the, the first is the nurses came in, and they started to talk about how they wanted the babies to have this, this sugar result and this, and this much food and this much. And it was like, you know, this, this, is, this, is, this is a different, and every baby's not the same. But they talked about, well, the baby has to take this much, fluid, this much food. And, and then he said, yeah, but when you gave her that much food, the baby threw up. Mm-hmm. So baby, st- and, and the husband says, the baby's stomach's only this tiny little stomach. Mm-hmm. He knows this stuff, yeah. and I don't think that they know. And they were trying to force down, you know, a couple of ounces into a baby after the baby had breastfed of a formula, mm. to, because the baby's blood sugar was a little bit low. But the baby's blood sugar was never that low. The lowest I heard was fifty-four, mm-hmm. and that's actually normal. And they and then they said something to the effect, "Well, we'd like it to be over 60. and I go, "But over forty-five is considered fine in a newborn, but we like it to be over 60. Mm-hmm. But over under over forty five is fine, and it w- this went on and on and on and on. And then at some point, I said to them, "I said, you know, this is a very capable couple we have here, and you're acting like this baby belongs to you." Yeah, that's awesome. And it's not their baby, right? And so they fought and they fought and they got the baby out of baby jail, you know, in a matter of days. But they wanted to keep the baby longer. Mm-hmm. So did they have any problem with um, Child Protective Services? No, no, they got the baby discharged. 
I know. Because they f- were fighting for yeah, it, so yeah. I'm just asking no, if they. No, no. Because sometimes not, when not you go least. against against any of their advice. Well, I happened. don't think that their advice was sound, and I think that when they were challenged, when they were challenged by someone respectfully, you know, coming from the the same information could have come from the parents, and they would have belittled them. Mm-hmm. But when I'm sitting there, you know, I mean, I get belittled enough as it is, so <laughs> it's fine. I'm used to being belittled. But I think it was a little more intimidating for the NICU people to say something where I could say, well, you know, that that's actually not true. Mm-hmm. So Unfortunately, we can't have we, uh, you there all the time. You know, it reminds me of the movie um, uh, Annie Hall, I think it was, where Woody Allen is standing in line uh, at a movie theater and people are criticizing the thing, a very snobbish guy standing in front of Woody Allen talking to his friend. He's very obnoxious talking. He's talking about how this movie is this and that. And then he, he quotes Marshall McLuhan, who I don't remember who Marshall McLuhan is, but he was some sort of media expert or something like that. And Woody Allen says, well, you know, you're wrong. And he starts arguing with Woody Allen. And Woody Allen goes, well, I happen to have a Marshall McLuhan right here. <laughs> and Marshall McLuhan comes out from behind Woody Allen and says, tells the guy he's an idiot. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you like to have your own lawyer or your own obstetrician or your own, you know, specialist along with you but you obviously we don't it's very unfortunate that we feel like we need that okay okay i have a question yes i know you weren't there so you might not be able to answer this but um they needed a full resuscitation this baby needed a full resuscitation that's what i heard okay yeah so they called 911 and the baby had not yet responded to the resuscitation so they transported Uh, i think it had responded but i think that they felt that it should go i can't remember the details okay okay yeah I'll try to get the details That's okay. later it's on. It's probably better the ones that you're actually we actually attend yeah, to talk about. Yeah, I can't remember specifically why. Mm-hmm. Again, this was a crazy month. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had 14 births and 18 babies. Mm-hmm. That's why, you know, it's, it's a ridiculous month for me. It's a ridiculous yeah. month. But what's really interesting is no, no two of them went into labor at the same time. I did not have that. I know you didn't. <laughs> I know. We'll talk about that. Well, we could talk about that one right now. I would like to say, though, that one, one evening I did deliver three babies. But, tell us that okay. story. Well, I was at the Santa Clarita Birth Center. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I wasn't. <laughs> I wasn't at the Santa Clarita Birth Center. Let me just take that back. I was at some anonymous place <laughs> where <laughs> we had uh, a woman was a breech, had a breech baby. Mm-hmm. And uh, she went on and <laughs> delivered, easily delivered. It was a primip who delivered her breech baby beautifully uh, in the bed. And... While we were just basking in the glory and enjoying ourselves, there was somebody laboring nearby. Hint, hint. I mean, <laughs> nudge, nudge. <laughs> and um, the, apparently that she'd been pushing for a while and the baby's heart rate went down to 80 and they ran and got me and they said, can you come and put a vacuum on? Because the heart rate's at 80. And I said, sure. And I walk into a room. I don't know anybody. I don't know anything. And I put a vacuum on and get the baby out. And, the, and we work on that baby for two hours to keep that baby from going off to the NICU. What was happening exactly? Just was slow coming around. It was never, I thought, in dire straits, but it needed some rescue breathing. It never needed chest compressions. Mm-hmm. needed rescue breathing. Its tone was sort of off a little bit. We got the pulse ox on it eventually at about 20 minutes, and it was still only in the 70s. And we were, you know, we were working on it, the baby, and the baby needed some stimulation and a lot of clearing, a lot of postural drainage suctioning, got a lot of stuff out of it. It was not meconium, it was clear fluid, but just a lot of lot of fluid coming out. And the baby was just sort of, its color would be good, but its tone wouldn't be good, or then its color would get a little worse, but then we'd just irritate it and it would cry. And But it, it didn't, 
it's reflex irritability, which is one of the things on the APGAR score, Mm -hmm. was never a two. You could never really make it, get it pissed off. Mm -hmm. But it kept coming around. And so we gave it blow by oxygen and the O2 sats went into the 90s and the baby responded normally and we winged it off the oxygen and it stayed in the 90s. And we were able to keep that baby from going to the hospital. And part of me... I mean, it was my decision because the midwives wanted to call the paramedics and I just said, let's work on the baby a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And that comes from my experience and my confidence. And also it comes from a little bit of aversion therapy mm-hmm. from knowing what happens if that baby goes to the NICU. Yeah. Yeah. So again, this is one of the problems of not having a system like they have in England where we have smooth transition. Yeah. Is that a lot of times midwives will delay calling or delay transporting because they don't want to deal with the hospital. Mm-hmm or they don't want their client to have to deal with what the hospital has to offer. Or what I did, which was, you know, take my time with this baby. We were with this baby the entire time. Yeah. And the hours. heart rate was above The heart rate 100. was always fine. Heart rate yeah. was always fine. Yeah. Right. Um, so that's a... And then on the way home transition. from that, from those two births at this random facility, <laughs> um, uh, I got called by uh, gra- uh, another birth center, Graceful Birth Center, and asked to come and put a vacuum on that baby. While you were hu- driving. While I was driving home. Well, that was convenient. Yeah, it worked out great. You know those times when you like just climbed just got into home, bed, well yeah. <laughs> the phone rings, you're like, no. Oh. And you know this was great because Cat was the doula and Elliot was there. Oh yeah. So Elliot got to hold a vacuum. I mean, the, 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 <laughs> Elliot was the pump holder. Okay. <laughs> yeah, he did a good job. <laughs> I thought he wasn't attending births anymore. He still does sometimes. He must have been special yeah and that baby weighed 10 pounds six ounces i think hang on a second let me make sure i got that right uh no that no that was your patient that yeah. weighed 10 pounds six mm-hmm. that one was 10 one 10 pounds one yep got some good babes good size babes you have you've had some, you had a couple of you interesting were... births too that i was at <laughs> yes yes um so why don't you get why don't you uh yeah I was so anyway so that's two of the breaches and two of the vacuums i had i did four singleton vacuums this month Mm-hmm. All for midwives calling me to come, and one vacuum on a second twin, which you know about. Mm-hmm. And then I did four breaches, or three breaches. One was Doctor Brock's, and then I did, and we had four sets of twins. When I say I did, I don't want people listening at home to think that I'm being paternalistic or anything like that. It's just a way of speaking, you know. It's sort of <laughs> some of that stuff still ingrained in me. <laughs> um, but four sets of twins. And all the twins delivered vaginally and three of the four breaches delivered vaginally. And so it was, uh, all, all seven, you know, I mean, probably six or seven of those eight women would have had C-sections because two of the twins had breech babies. One was a first twin breech, one was a second twin breech. Mm-hmm. And then all four breaches would have been sectioned automatically. Right. Right. Well, let's also talk about a knot. Because she delivered at 40 weeks, five days. Yeah. Well, all my twins delivered, uh, except one delivered at 37 weeks. All the other ones went beyond 39 weeks. And Anat went to 40 weeks and how many? Five days. 40 weeks and five days. And, wh- and what else happened with Anat? Well, she was ruptured for mm-hmm. 40 hours, I think. Mm-hmm. More or less. So just those two things alone, plus her, her baby A was... Breach. Breach. <laughs> um, okay. She's a mom who had a previous vaginal home birth. So, you know, she definitely did not want to have any other plan besides having this home birth. Um, And she definitely would have been induced. um, Well, no, she wouldn't have been. She'd have been sectioned. 
probably. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Unless it was Chavira. Yeah. Yeah. Because nobody would induce a first twin breach. That's true. Not in Southern California. They wouldn't. That's true. So she would have not had any other option. Nope. And she had a beautiful home delivery. Um, a lot of people got to see the picture of her husband and her and the two baby girl twins on my Instagram. Oh, the, where he looked so ecstatic. Yeah. 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 Great couple. Um, yeah, that was, uh, we thought that she was going to drop those babies. Yeah. She was just going to go. Yeah. Plip plop. Yeah. Multi pregnant, uh, you know, 40 plus weeks with ruptured membranes and. Well, so, let me digress yeah. for just a second and yeah. just say that all the breaches were singletons. All the twins were multips. I mean, it's not singletons, um, primips and all the, the, um, twins, twins were multips and. Mm-hmm. If you people have heard me say before, I do believe that if you could categorize the species of human female into into subcategories, you would have two species. <laughs> You'd have a, the primip homo sapien female <laughs> and the multip homo sapien female because mm-hmm. they are completely different in how they labor and, and birth uh, in general. I mean, my success rate with multip breaches or multip twins is... Essentially, one one pre- one woman, and all the multi breaches and twins I've been doing in the last ten years has not been successful. Whereas many of the primips have not been successful in having their home birth. Um, Do you know your statistic for that? I know. I know the number. I know the percentages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, uh, I have a ninety-eight percent success rate with twins when they uh, when they're multips. Mm-hmm. That means that I've just had one. I've had one multip twin not deliver and that was breach breach twins mm-hmm. and they were big and i but it was she just stalled out at seven centimeters and then they, uh, for whatever reason and then of course she didn't have an option she go to the hospital with a breach twin mm-hmm. but um uh and with my primip twins my success rate is only 60 percent okay and so what about breach breach is uh 100 for multips mm-hmm. i mean that won't be that forever but that's what mm-hmm. it is now mm-hmm. And for primips, we've dropped a little bit. It was about 76%. We're down to about 72% for primate breaches. And so it's usually stall, just a stalling of Almost labor. always it's stalled uh, labor. Labor peters out. And, you know, again, if as most of the breach luminaries go, the, the Sean Walkers, the Betty Ann Davises, the Frank Lewins, all those people, the Anka Ritters, we, we believe that labor should, should progress smoothly and breach babies should progress on their own, if they don't progress, if labor stalls out for any reason, it's a sign that maybe that's not the best place, I mean, that's not the right thing to be doing. If I had hospital privileges, would I give those people uh, epidural and pitocin? Yeah, I would. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. And if I found that that was leading to worse or out, worse, that, that's not a very good English. Oh. <laughs> my, my mom is rising back from the grave to like hit me again. Uh, if I found that there were worse outcomes that way, I would probably stop... Uh, I would st- I would just say, listen, you babies have to come on their own, like I do at home right now, uh, or the, or a C section is probably a better choice. Mm-hmm. But still, seventy two percent of primips and a hundred percent of multips, ninety eight percent of multip twins. So when I hear a story, when somebody writes me a story that says, yeah, it was my fourth baby and it was breech, and they and they did a C section on me, they didn't give me the option. I just want to I want to I want to cry and I want to scream. And I want to say that that's basically unethical and it's not good medical practice. And yet. It's consistently the standard of care, and the standard bearers of my profession would n- would say nothing 
about someone sectioning a woman who's having her fourth baby, which happens to be breech. And it would be, and, and meeting all the typical breach criteria that we've talked about in the past. It's a shame. It's just a shame. Yeah. Yep. So people out there who are listening, if you happen to have somebody you know or one of your clients who's breech or, or, and they've already had vaginal deliveries, they've got to find somebody who's going to be willing to help them. Because doing a C-section is just not the right choice. Right. Agreed. I did have a couple of C-sections. This uh, this time around, yeah. which is unfor- unfortunate, a couple of my um, moms who were doing a TOLAC at home for um, a VBAC, HBAC, um, ended up with a C-section. So, what would can you can you tell us briefly what <sighs> what the reasons for their first C-sections were? Um, you know, I'd have to I'd have to look. Oh, you don't remember? Yeah, yeah, see, yeah. I, yeah. I don't I don't keep all of that in my brain for each one of them. Um, because it's actually it's actually quite it's interestingly re interest interestingly relevant mm-hmm. to the story of of you know what happens in their in their subsequent pregnancies. I mean, I think sometimes it it I mean for them especially it is. Um, but I don't know I don't know for um. No, well, I mean for academic interest, it is for me. Mm-hmm. That's what I meant. It's like it 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 helps me to sometimes understand why things don't go and why they and why they do and then i always like to i'm always curious whether they were born by c-section yeah that's an interesting thing to find out too because that's the michelle odont uh, epigenetic theory Mm -hmm. i think that um the first one she had a very similar picture in terms of arrest of labor dilation got to a certain point and then just did not progress and um I'm very hesitant to call a, a labor for arrest of dilation. I know you are. Yeah. I, I really... You're very, very patient. I really feel like um, those situations, it's about giving more time. And I feel like if the mom is really interested in having more time, that she should have it. Um Probably statistically, if I went and added those up, it's probably like, you know, a 50-50 chance that that things are going to change and you'll have a vaginal delivery with patients or, you know, ending up going in. But I always look back on it and go, what would have happened back in the day? Is this one of the moms that would have died or is this one of the moms that, you know, if we if she just didn't have any other options, she would labor for days and she'd have her baby. You know yeah, I mean? or or she gets septic and that's what I'm saying. Right. She's oh. one of those ones. Or they would, or they would go up with four high forceps and try to pull the baby out to save the mother. That yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I I always approach it with the mom if she's okay and baby's okay and she wants to keep going that we can keep going. And this particular mom, she faced and ch- a lot of challenges, um, having a lot of pain and just really having to go deep and coping with her labor. So she overcame a lot of obstacles and then I think you know when you've done that for six seven eight hours right and then you get a vaginal check that it's basically the same most of those women are ready for something different you know um I've had a couple that were like no I'm ready to keep going but most of them by that time if if they haven't progressed they're ready for something that the hospital has to offer even though everybody is completely healthy at the moment so that's what happened with the first one. Um, and the recommendation soon after she got to the hospital was that 
she's she had not changed for so many hours and the recommendation was to have a c-section and we you know we had some conversations at the hospital about you know you could advocate for longer you don't have to accept this you know your baby's doing fine you're doing fine if you want to you know get some rest and try some pitocin and you know blah 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 blah. we could do that um and then again that option you know the decision ultimately is for the mom to decide so um the other one was very a very different picture um she had been ruptured for a while um, then we started to see some progressive meconium staining and I went back and gave them informed consent about what that meant to stay home. They made the decision that they wanted to continue to stay home. She was only about two centimeters dilated at that point. I told her that as long as the baby continued to sound good, that we could stay. And I was about to send them out on a walk and I was like, let me listen to the baby before you go. And we started to get some pretty deep decelerations. And the plan had been to go and see Dr. Shavira, but it was 5 p.m. and it was a very long drive. And I just did, even getting in the car with them and listening, I just thought that it was not a good decision. So we traveled by ambulance to the closest hospital. And, um, well, the second closest hospital. The first closest hospital is where she had had her original traumatic cesarean and she did not want to go there um so we ended up going take making a choice to go somewhere else and um when we got there realized that they don't do VBACs at this hospital um so that was a disappointment for her um however the baby was still having decelerations and I don't think that even if they had been willing to do VBACs there that would have been the best option so um she ended up having a C-section and um and her baby ended up in the NICU um with a I think her rupture actually was less than 24 hours but she ended up getting what they considered to be an infection. Mm -hmm. So she, she's a nurse and she was like, how, you know, like, I'm just so curious about how that happened. You know, we eliminated, we did all the, the normal protocols at home, you know, eliminating vaginal exams, not going in water, upping her immunity, you know, all of those things. So she was just one of those small percentages of moms. Yeah, Yeah. Who she wasn't, she didn't have a fever, none of that. So, um, so that was, I think that one was probably e- a little easier to swallow in terms of the transport because it seemed like, you know, we didn't have a lot of options to stay home for that one. Um, but I'm always well, sad. But let me back up to the first one because yeah. first one, uh, not so much the details of that, but you had two people sort of laboring at the same time. No, these are, these are earlier this oh, month. Oh, that's earlier this mm-hmm. month. Okay, well, didn't you yeah. have a third one? Another VBAC? Oh, well, she wasn't a VBAC, right? She was those just she two, was just post. Nope. She was just those two were both. She was just forty-two weeks. The we, one, the one on the night. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So these are earlier in the month, and then I did have another water birth <laughs> um, VBAC mama a couple of weeks ago as well. That was pretty straightforward, beautiful yeah. water birth. Um, felt she was very happy and overjoyed to be able to kind of. Do what her last doctor told her that she her Not body possible. would never do. Right. Yeah, and she's a plus size mom, and um, I think a lot of times with those moms, they are fearful their whole pregnancy that they're going to develop gestational diabetes, they're going to have high blood pressure, their body's not going to work, you know. And so for them, it's really triumphant to be able to know that their body did exactly what it's supposed to do. So 
That was awesome. Um, so last week is what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, but before you get to that, I just wanted to say that this, I want to pre- uh, like introduce it a little bit, is because this, this is something that happens to all birth workers. I got really lucky last month, mm-hmm. but it happens to all birth workers. What happens when you have two people, two clients of yours laboring at the same time? Mm-hmm. And I, you can tell a little story, because I, I like, it's so great about the collegiality and the camaraderie we have in our, in our community. But also before you said, we, we talked about Anat's twins, but I wanted to say that the first time in my entire career that I actually delivered twins that weighed exactly the same weight. Yeah. Which is the first time that's ever happened. I know. It was amazing. They were both seven pounds, one ounce. Right? I know. Right. I mean, think of the, these, these, are the, these are the sizes of the, baby, the twins that I delivered this month. 6'4 and 6'13, 5'14 and 6'8, 7'1 and 7'1, and 7'11 and 8'4. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and she was, uh, the, the 71184 was 39 and 5. Anat was 40 and 5. Uh, Tara was 37 and a half. And, um, and then Tammy was 39 and a half. Yeah, 39 and a half. Mm-hmm. So three of my four twins would have been induced. Well, Anat wouldn't have been, but she would have been sectioned. And the other, yeah. two, and the other two would have been induced. And they both had vaginal deliveries at home. Between five, six, nine, and fifty-two minutes apart were the were the uh, five, six, nine, nine, and, and fifty-two, 52. minutes. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So, that's the way it worked. Now, <laughs> why are some of them short? Well, sometimes they just came, they came boom boom, and sometimes they came because the, we, heart, the heart rate was down and, and, yeah. and I intervened on on them as I did in two of them. Do you want to talk about that a little more? Briefly, I mean, uh, you were pushing. With a knot in the tub. Yeah. We, well, you said that you felt like she maybe needed a little bit of guidance. Yes. Yeah, because we were waiting for the instinct, and it was a long, it was a, a lot longer than we thought it would and be. And actually, because Chavira had told me the same thing when he was with <laughs> his client, the one that he ended up putting pipers on, he said that she'd been pushing for two or so, two, two, two and a half hours, and just really wasn't pushing effectively, and just felt that she f- needed guided pushing. Mm-hmm. And with guided pushing, the baby came down much more quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I know that we resist that. And the midwives often resist that. We kind of, especially with breaches, we tend to want to wait till they labor down and, and have the real urge to push. But it's been a while, and so you began pushing with her, and mm-hmm. and we started to hear what we heard a decel to eighty, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, so we got her out In of the, the tub. tub. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we got her out into the bedroom as fast as we could. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then what did we do? Um, we, we pushed a little bit more. We listened again, right? Mm-hmm. We pushed a little bit more. And then, um, I think that you decided, well, made I think the, the decision. was down again, right? Yeah, yeah. You made the decision to assist. Yep. And so I went up and I, the baby was sort of an incomplete breach and I grabbed the f- one foot I could find. And you said, I hope this isn't a hand. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a mess. <laughs> and but, it wasn't, but it I, was a foot. You know, if it had been a hand, I'd have pushed it up and I would have found a foot mm-hmm. because she was completely dilated and she was a multi. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, having done breaches for as long as I've done them and, and twins and breach extractions, you sort of, in your mind, you have like, like Chavira doing upside down forceps. I have a spatial relationship in my mind. I know sort of where it is. I know the twins. I know what position they're in. I've scanned them before yep. and uh, they become familiar with them. And, uh, it's not a surprise to me. So I w- reached up and I pulled the leg down and once I got one leg down and the rest of it came relatively quickly, right? It came pretty quick. Yeah, it did. Right, and then the second twin was so fine our, initially. So then our assistant, Hayes, was working on that baby, mm-hmm. just kind of a supporting, um, bringing it into its body. It's a little floppy. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is very typical for breech babies, mm-hmm. actually. Mm-hmm. Um, especially ones that are assisted out. And then the heart rate was fine on baby B for a little while. Yeah. And then, and then listened again and and it was slow. Yeah. It right. was probably about the same. So, uh, you know, I, that baby was, you know, head down. And so I A-rammed her and uh, had her push once or twice and it wasn't moving at all. And so I grabbed a vacuum, put a vacuum on. It was high though for a vacuum, yeah? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you can, you know, again, with twins, you can, and the second twin, you can get away with lots of stuff. Yeah. I just noticed the distinction between the last vacuum that we did on a, you know, a larger prime. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, the handle's this far out and the, and uh-huh. the handle was this far out. Well, right. they can't see what you're doing. They they can know. <laughs> <laughs> Farther out than not. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and we, those babies both needed little bliss kisses. We call them bliss kisses now, mm-hmm. don't we? Yeah. Yeah. A little mouth to mouth, which is, you know, how I prefer to support a baby transitioning because I can feel um, direct connection to what I'm doing rather than using an Ambu bag. So as long as the parents are okay with me doing mouth to mouth, that's that's what I prefer. Yeah, and then when everything was fine, I, I, I used my Dr. Stu weird sense of humor and told you that I was short of breath. <laughs> needed a bliss kiss. <laughs> I needed kiss. a bliss kiss. But yeah. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm very honored they named the baby yes. Lily. Her middle name is Bliss I after know. me. I know. It I was know. after you, too. I know. Well, we've been on quite a journey, that family. They had a loss before this and then got pregnant with twins. And so we've been working together for a while. and Still. Quite fun. Quite an honor. Yeah, yeah, of course it is. Always, always an honor. So last week, that was the twins. That was on um, Thursday. Thursday at the same time. Yeah. Well, before that, I want to say Sunday evening is when my journey began with my deliveries. And I had a mom who had two previous cesareans. Oh, right. um, Who was attempting to do uh, HBAC and um, had a very, very slow, long labor, large baby. Um, We didn't know how large (laughs) until the baby came out and we (laughs) weighed it. Um, But... um, you know, she also several times said, I think I'm going to go and get an epidural. And I just kept saying, can we try this? Can we try that? Can we try this? Um, and she kept finding her way through the labor to, to find a little bit more energy to get herself fully dilated. But I went back and forth to her house a couple of times um, and started on Sunday evening. And then we delivered her Tuesday morning, right? Yeah, apparently it was the fourth day, I think. Tuesday morning, I think, was was when, yeah. I thought she'd been, she said the parent, the whole family had been around the house, and I think they said they'd been You know, early labor is days, kind of right. early labor, but, um, sh- yeah. Yeah, she, but when she's not pregnant, she's like 115 pounds soaking wet. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. You right. can't, she's one of those you can't tell from the back that she's pregnant. And so um, I had been collaborating with another local midwife who has a little bit more experience with MTHFR. And her contractions had spaced out like every 10 minutes. And we just, we tried Castro, we tried herbs, we tried nipple stimulation. We tried so many different things to get her contractions closer together. And... um and she said, you know, I really think that you should try and push without the contractions because I've done this before with women who have MTHFR. Sometimes they, their labor just does this. And so we did that for 
several hours. Um, and then uh, I felt like, you know, we probably could have done it for several more and had a baby. But I checked in with her and I said, you know, this is where we're at. Your contractions are not seeming like they're going to come. And um, I'm wondering if you, you know, would be interested in Dr. Fishbein coming and putting on a vacuum. And so you were available and they agreed. And so you came and did that. And it was, it was probably, you said you didn't think it was going to work. I did. Later, you told me. Yeah, because of the contractions, right? Not she wasn't having contractions be, because, well, in hindsight, because when the baby came out weighing 10 pounds, 6 ounces. <laughs> <laughs> we, we looked at it and we go, wow, that's a big baby, like 9 pounds? Yeah, it was 10 pounds, 6 ounces. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and she, and you know, I mean, like I said, that's like that's like 8% of her body weight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, But is that why you thought it wouldn't be successful? No, I just, uh, you know, it was just, I don't remember what I said. I think it was you, high I think or something. It was, it was, yeah, it was a plus one. But I think you also said because the and contractions. She a, and she had a pendulous abdomen. Pendulous. Her baby was like, aunt, you know, laying out in front of her. Mm-hmm. Um, but it did come out and it really, and it never popped off. So that was great. Cause yeah. It, yeah. You know, sometimes it pops off and everybody start. I always give people a, a warning that if it pops off, don't worry about it. It's a normal thing that happens, but it can be startling sometimes. And yeah. you can splatter the wall and <laughs> anybody standing nearby. Yeah, so. but um, but that baby came around really quickly. You had kind of prepared us, make sure that you have your resuscitation mm-hmm. materials close by, which of course we would anyways. But, you know, we were prepared to do a resuscitation and, and that baby actually came around pretty pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. thriving. And then, she, and then she lost blood, right? And we put an IV in her. We did. Right. Yeah, she had good veins. Yeah, I've had, I've had uh, out of about the, uh, the 14 or 15 deliveries we did, I did this month, uh, like four or five of them uh, had, you know, blood loss that was... More than I more than I like that we started IVs on lately. a hemorrhage. Yeah, yeah, well, you can call it that. Yeah. So, um, so when we have tired uteruses, over distended uteruses. Yeah. Twins, you see that. Long labors, you see that. Big babies, you see that. More, yeah. more common. Yeah, and then normally we would we would start an IV and and possibly put in pitocin depending on what was going on. And we did. We right. did, right. which will make her feel better um, and try and keep them in bed and not getting up and, and ambulating and going to the bathroom right away. Oh, we made her stay. Yeah, we made her stay. I think I even left my bedpan at the house. There. She got up, by the she way. She got up anyway. Yeah, yeah after they don't we listen. left. Yeah. So, um, well, I want you to tell, talk about the collaboration that night uh, with Anat and the other lady that was in labor. I will. And then I have one more because we're going to run out of time. I will. Okay. So we had someone come and do postpartum for us that night because we knew. Because you were exhausted. And I, had, and I had this other mom who was going to be 42 weeks. We needed to get into labor. So I went home and went to bed and got called immediately to another delivery, not my 42-weeker, <laughs> yeah. but another delivery of a woman who um, was originally going to do an unassisted delivery but found out that her baby had a arrhythmia and you had seen her and said that she was safe to do a home birth, but she felt more comfortable having someone there to monitor her. So in the 15 minute drive to her house from my house, she delivered her baby unassisted (laughs) and um, baby was fine. We listened, stayed, helped out with postpartum, all of that. And while that was happening, Anat's water broke And so I was like, I got to go to bed. This woman's going to have her babies. And I have to still help this 42-week mom get into labor. And so um, I went and checked that mama the next morning, and she was one centimeter. The the 42-weeker. And so you and I talked and discussed, and we kind of came up with a plan and decided to give them both castor oil within a couple of hours of each other because we assumed that 
a knot with twins, multip and, with twins. And ruptured membranes. And ruptured membranes for 30 hours would now. Would go fast. Would go fast. Um, well, they both started contracting pretty much uh, simultaneously, um, an hour in traffic away from each other. Uh, so we made a plan with a couple of other midwives to go over and support the other mom while we were delivering a knot, and then we would kind of tag team. Maybe she would deliver, but we didn't think so because you thought she had a very large baby. Mm -hmm. I was wrong. I mean, well, it was large, but not as big you as I thought. You had seen her on Monday for an ST and said that the baby was high, um, head wasn't engaged, and it was a bigger size baby. And I had checked her that morning, and she was one centimeter. So we figured, you know, even with good contractions, this is going to take her a while. Um, so they went, and she was seven, and we delivered a Knott's Twins and did the postpartum, and I checked in, and they said, it's moving very slowly. <laughs> so we went over there, I don't know, two in the morning or something when we yeah, got Yeah, we left the Knott's about, uh, yeah, about yeah. that time, about 12, 30, 1 o'clock. Yeah, know. and they were lovely and had set up the tub and had just supported her. She had contractions back-to-back -back that entire time, and I asked if I could do another exam just to kind of see what was going on, and it was exactly the same exam that they had gotten before. And so like I was saying earlier, you know, sometimes when moms are working so hard, they get that information and they're like ready. De defeated, yeah. Well, I mean, she was just ready. I don't she wasn't defeated. She was okay with the choice, but she was ready for something different. She was ready for an epidural, she was ready for some rest and, you know, hoping that pitocin would help her get to the rest of her dilation. And so it did. Um, and I wanted to ask you a question about this particular case. So um, I went home, let her rest on the epidural. Hayes went back in the morning to just be with them and call me when it was time for the push. She got complete. She was, um, I'm gonna say zero. Maybe, maybe plus one, and they had her start pushing. And I knew at this particular hospital I had to have the exact same scenario, even with a midwife being the one that was watching it, um, that they pushed too early. And, uh, and then, you know, two hours comes around, and they're like, you've pushed for two hours. You're not making enough progress, we should call it. So we could see the writing on the wall. We started talking to her about all kinds of things, turn the epidural off, get up and walk around, let's get a wireless monitor, let's change positions, da da da, da right? The baby started getting tachycardic. No temperature on the mom. Um, how long would do you feel comfortable and what are the concerns when a baby is now becoming tachycardic? Uh, how tachycardic? 170, um, sometimes 180. And its, and its baseline rate most of the time was? 150. And is there still variability would be a good question I would ask you. Yes. If there's still variability and there's no D cells... No, uh, not yet. Yeah, I wouldn't be as concerned. You'd wait for that. Yeah, I'd sort of. I, I, if she's making progress or something like that, yeah, I, I, I would, I would be okay watching that, but I would be vigilant about watching that. She's not making progress, and as far as they're concerned, she's not. Yeah. Well. Yeah. So you'd call it. Well, if I was them. Yeah. I would have called it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you were you and me, we may not have been pushing yet or we, yeah. you know, we went, might have been letting her labor down a little bit more or we give her some food. Which might put less stress on the baby. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's very possible. Yeah. Um, so yeah, she you, accepted you, you, a C-section. No two scenarios can be the same. And no. You can't, you really can't know. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. But again, if there's variability, even if it's 170 and there's little excels to 180 and back down to 170 and stuff, rather than a, a laser beam flat, yeah, flat 170, that that would be worrisome. Yeah. 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 Right. Um, and then you could also do, you could even do like what's called scalp stimulation too. You could do a vaginal exam and, and uh, you know, scratch the baby's head with your fingers, not scratch it, but rub the baby's head with your fingers. And, and generally that'll cause a healthy baby will, its heart rate will go up because it's, it's annoyed. <laughs> but it's already up. But it will go, yeah, you want to see that it's responsive. <laughs> oh, you want to see yes, it's still yes, able yes. to respond. Yes, yes. To stretch, to, uh, to uh, outside influences. Stimulus. Right, to stimulate, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. All right, so I have one more to talk about before we end the podcast. Phew. Okay. Okay. It's another breach. Are you guys tired yet? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we did nap, by yeah. the way. It's another breach, and uh-huh. it, was, it was out in, uh, in the Palm Springs area. Mm. Okay, in La Quinta. So I had a breach in La Quinta, which is near Palm Springs. I had a breach a in El Cajon. hours I mean, from excuse LA. Me, and I had twins in El Cajon, which is near the Mexican border. <laughs> and I had uh, How far apart twins in Thousand Oaks, which is near, Vent- you know, which is middle of Ventura County. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was all over the place this last couple of weeks. I put on, there's one, one, I think one day I put a thousand miles, or no, no, that could have been a thousand miles. I think it was like 500 miles on my car in one day. It was like driving to San Francisco and and then on farther. Anyway, nonetheless, um, healthy, physically fit, primip breach at, let's see, 41 weeks in two days, okay? Uh, baby was not excessively big. Uh, she was in good labor, got out there. We were hanging around. She had great support. Uh, she had her husband was great. He's a CHP officer, and, he, and he's great. And her sister was there, and it was they, had, they were cooking, and it was just a really nice environment. And the midwife, the local midwife was there, along with my student and me and her helper. And we had a great team. And she got to seven centimeters, which is what happens with some of my breaches. And then her contractions just sort of petered out. And we put them to sleep for a while. We had them walking for a while. We even gave them an hour of like, go make out for a while. <laughs> uh, he got an hour. Yeah, but and, and just nothing, nothing would make them come back. They just were, they spaced out to 10, 8 to 10 to 12, even 12 minutes apart. And there was nothing we could do about it. So at, at, you know, a little after midnight, we decided... We've been there all day. I mean, all day. And a little after midnight, we decided that this was, that's it. So now the saga begins, okay? Because mm-hmm. we called, um, there's two hospitals out in Palm Springs area. One is, and I'm going to name them. One is called Desert Regional. And Desert Regional Hospital has a laborist. Uh, and that night, the laborist's name happened to be <laughs> Dr. Owama, O-R-O-M-A, Nawan. Nodi, N-W-A-N-O-D-I. All right. And when I called to speak to the nurse, I gave the nurse report and I said, you know, it's kind of like the um, the dog that only hears its name when you're talking to it. Like, you know, go get that stick, Fido. Go get that, you know, come on. And all the dog is hearing is Fido, Fido, Fido. It's not hearing anything else. So I would, you know, I would give the report that the, we have a very healthy woman here. She's been ruptured for 20 hours. She's afibril, GBS negative. Um... She stopped contracting her space contraction spaced out seven centimeters. She's breached and she's coming in for a cesarean section. Uh, very healthy baby, about an eight pound baby, blah, blah, blah. And the only thing that they really hear is the word breach. It's like the only thing that they hear. But the nurse was very nice about it. But she says, you know, I'm going to have you talk to the, the laborist, the doctor on, that's in the house on call. I said, okay, fine. That'd be great. 
Now, I don't have to talk to any of these people. We could just show up at the hospital. Mm-hmm. All right? Right. And they have to take care of them. Right. But I'm trying to be professional and doing and giving these people a, doing a favor by calling them, letting them know. So I talked to Dr. Nwan Nodi. I'm, I'm sure I'm pr- butchering the name of how you pronounce that. <laughs> N-W-A-N-O-D-I. just want to spell it correctly because she said two things to me when I started to give a report. She said, why are you calling now? It's after midnight and I don't have an assistant. <laughs> and it's like, well, this is when it's happening. And the, but before I could get another word out of my mouth after I told her a bit of the story, how do you spell your last name? I said, you, do you really want to? Do you really want to talk about that, or do you want to talk about this client, this woman, and what's going on with her, and have me give you a report? I'd like you to spell your last name for me, okay? And F- you know, you know, yeah. right, yeah. right. So, so this is the attitude we're getting. So mm-hmm. I basically said, thanks very much, whatever. Told the family sitting right there, the mom, the pregnant mom, and everyone we were sitting around the table trying to figure out where we're going to go. And I, we hung up the phone. I said, well, we're not going there. Okay. Yeah. So then the other hospital, it's John F. Kennedy Hospital out there in Palm Springs. And, and the husband, as a CHP officer, knows this hospital because it's where they take like the homeless people and, mm-hmm. and, and the drug, you know, the, it's not the greatest hospital. Mm-hmm. So I call the labor and delivery there and I speak to the nurse and she's very nice on the phone. But she says, you know, we, have, we don't have a hospitalist or inter, uh, in, uh, on, in-house call. You have to call the doctor at home. So that's like it was when I was first starting out in practice is, you know, the hospital doesn't have somebody, you call the doctor at home and there's a doctor on call. And that I used to do that at Cedars and some other hospitals. So I'd be the doctor on call for, for covering the ER, covering that night. So, but I know where this is going to go. All right. I, I already know where this is going to go, but it went worse than I could ever. I mean, it was, didn't go worse than I could imagine, but it, it was, a, it didn't, didn't go even, I couldn't have thought this up. So I get the guy in the name. This guy's name is Dr. David Coy, C-O-Y. Okay. C-O-Y. <laughs> At, that one's straightforward right and um yeah so i get him on the phone and i start to give a re- report and he just breaks out laughing nice and we're talking about 12 30 12 45 in the morning and he breaks out laughing and he says to me uh you have the wrong doctor and hangs up on me <laughs> okay now both of these doctors you think about it they're care providers mm-hmm who don't want to provide care, mm-hmm. just people who need it. So if anybody happens to know Dr. David Coy or Dr. Aroma Noan Nodi, you can write him a letter or let him know that I've mentioned them on my podcast. And uh, you know, a year from now, if uh, I get a letter from somebody that says that you, you know, because I could, you know, my student all the way home was saying, why don't you report these people to the medical board? And, mm-hmm. I, and I thought about it because we were real aggravated about it initially, but I thought about it, what's the point? I report them to the medical board. A year later, they get a letter from the medical board. They don't remember me even calling them that night. There's no record of it whatsoever. It goes nowhere. There's no point in doing it. But what happens here is you have two doctors who don't like their work, okay, who don't like being on call, all right, because the doctor that's in the hospitalist, she gets paid the same whether she sleeps all night or she has to get up. Right. And the other doctor probably thinks because he's at JFK, that this is probably just a dump. Mm-hmm. That's his first impression, as opposed to the idea that, you know, these people, you know, first of all, they need care, so it doesn't matter if it's a dump. You're on call at the hospital as part of your duty. But second of all, I mean, he's a CHP officer. They've got pretty, probably pretty decent insurance. insurance. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't yeah. really matter. I don't know what went through his mind, but he just started laughing 
when I'm trying to act professional by giving him a call, a courtesy call. Because again, we could have just shown up at the hospital and they would have called him and the woman's there. He's got to come in. Yeah. So he hung up on me. So I hung up on the first one. He hung up on me. So we ended up, we ended up calling uh, Loma Linda Hospital, which is an hour away. Yeah. Um, the okay. nurse was very nice there, but she said, you know, I'm going to, are you transferring care? And I said, well, I'm transferring the patient. We need to talk to our transfer center. And I said, well, I don't think that that's right. I said, what happens if she just shows up there at the hospital? Oh, we'll just take care of her. I said, okay. We'll see you soon. <laughs> yeah. And that's what we did. And they, she showed up at the hospital and they, she said they were very nice. They went with the midwife, went with her. I, I went home um, because it was like one, one o'clock in the morning and yeah. I had 17 to, other people to deliver well, I, had, I, was, I had office the next day, I think. So <laughs> yeah. I went home. And, uh, but they said, she said they were very nice and they did a section on her and everything was fine. And, uh, but that's a story of what happens in small town hospitals yep. uh, where they've lost their mission. Yeah, and they're not probably not the chosen hospitals to transport to either. So they don't have a lot of experience with it. So we have the hospitals like Cedars and the ones that we go to all the time that are used to now getting transports and they know how to act and they know how to behave. But, you know, that VBAC, the one I told you, but they didn't do VBACs. The doctor looked at me across my client with five other nurses and people in the room and said to me, who's your supervising physician? And I said, I'm not required to have a supervising physician. The law changed. And she said, even for VBACs? I said, yeah, even for VBACs. It's totally legal. But, you know, it's, she just doesn't, it's probably a, just doesn't know. It's She hasn't. Not had, only does she not know, but the fact that she challenges you in front of the patient yeah, and the other people, yeah. instead of being professional and taking you out in the hallway and just asking you questions about how it works and stuff like that, which would have been the, you know, the, there's an attitude of like, I don't really want to be doing this and I don't want to do, I mean. Well, and I don't trust that you know what you're doing. I don't trust that you're a professional. I don't try, I think that you're doing th something that's illegal and not right. I mean, that was the tone. Yeah, but you could be exact, you could be saying the exact same thing <laughs> about her. Right. I don't trust that you know what you're doing and I don't trust that you, you know, that you got yeah. my patient's best interest at your heart either. I mean, I, and I don't. Yeah. Quite frankly. And that's why I wouldn't have taken these people to that hospital anyway. But it's a problem in an area like a big area. There's a lot of people that live out in the in the high desert. And, yeah. And these are the two choices. Yeah. Not unless you want to drive an hour to Loma Linda. And you can't always do that. Like mine was an emergency transport. Right. You know? So you can't always have the option to, to go to the really great hospitals that are used to taking our transport. So we had a busy week. Month. <laughs> yes, we did. Seems like <laughs> seems like a, it seems like a week, but I mean it's it's just a lot of births. Yes. And so, it's not always like that, you know? It's not always busy like that. No, I've never had a month like that. Me neither. <laughs> no. So uh, February, I, I actually have one person due. I have four. Okay. <laughs> you but, can come but, help but, me. But things will add up because they, they, always, they do. always do. I always get more added in. Mm -hmm. Anyway, we've hoped you've liked listening to our uh, stories. We're trying to get back into the swing of things. It's actually been a little bit difficult to get back into our routine. But, but now that things it. have calmed down, hopefully we're going to be doing more podcasts. Mm -hmm. And we appreciate that you listen. We know that you have tons and tons of different podcasts to listen to. There are so many good ones out there, really good ones out there, in the, just in the birthing field, let alone the, you know, all the other things about life. But if you like this podcast, please share it with your friends and let them know and give us a good rating and tell us what you think and make sure and send us questions and, and uh, notes and ideas because we yeah, really like to hear them. Yeah, you can like reach us at... AskDrStu at gmail.com is where you can send your questions to us. Again, this has been podcast number 163. 
got the number right today. Yay. And uh, until next time, we hope that you stay healthy and happy and enjoy your life and love more. Love more. Bye-bye.